Welcome to JudgeCast. This is Sean Kananese, Level 2 Judge from Berkeley, California. And Ricky Hayashi, Level 3, Roanoke, Virginia. Do I sound like that? <laughs> All right. And with us today, too, we have a special guest, someone who is not normally joining us for JudgeCast from the far northern reaches of the state, Michael Jimenez. Level 2 from Wairika, California. And for those of us who don't know... Is that a real place? Yeah, let's, let's talk about this because we need to know where you're from. We, we always make up the name of places where our listeners are from when they answer our questions or when they ask our questions. And Wairika sounds sort of like the kind of a place that we'd make well, up. I thought it was a made-up place because, you know, there's Eureka, the TV show on sci-fi. I heard about Wairika and I'm like, that can't be real. Sure is. Wairika is about 20 miles south of the Oregon border along Interstate 5, and there is almost nothing here. As a matter of fact, there are no longer any magic tournaments in Wairika. I have to oh, travel no. 40 miles north to Medford to get any actual magic playing in. Oh, Medford. what happened? Wairika, there's just not much of a scene. I can count the number of competitive players on one hand, and usually they are all in my car when we go up to pre-releases. Well, that's a shame. In fact, I know uh, south of you in the city of Eureka, actually the city of Arcata, just north of them, um, there's actually a, a game store there that's been open only for a few years now. And um, Jeff Venturino, uh, somebody who we had just certified last night for Level 1, um, actually helps run that store. It's his mother owns the store. He and his sister help run it. Actually, it was sort of sort of bittersweet in that he just passed his level one exam, and then he's also going on to UC Davis, which means that the store is not going to have the main person running their events, and instead, um, they're actually thinking about shutting that store down. So, I mean, the north coast of California definitely has sort of a space where there aren't a whole lot of stores up there, but I know the players exist because, you, like, we were we were at the Target while we were up there. And while we were there, I watched some guys walk into the store just randomly and pick up some dual decks that were for sale at the local Target. Like, people definitely play Magic. It's just that, you know, they don't have the sort of local game store to go to that you're used to seeing. Yeah, it's it, it happens a lot of times. Like, uh, uh, M- Michael mentioned, like... Uh, all, all the tournament players uh, fit in his car, and they all go to the pre-release as well. You know, there's there's probably a whole bunch of casual people uh, out there looking looking for a store, and they, you know, it's one of those great untapped markets <laughs> for uh, for people. Uh, you know, judges judges are able to bring people to a store uh, just by having connections and and helping a store create events that are you know casual friendly. So. Yeah, exactly. I've actually Sometimes been trying to run events in Wairika since 2001 and just haven't been able to get anything to take off here. Is it uh what what problems are you having? Is it the 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 store, is it the players, is it just a con- uh, confluence of things? What is- it's a combination of both. The first owner that I tried working with, he was running just a sports card store. And he was a bit elderly and didn't really have any interest in being open late. 
Um, <clears throat> eventually, I tried moving away from him, trying to run stuff at the local pizza place, but they had other things they wanted to do on those nights. And then we had another store that started up, and he seemed like it was going to be really promising. I invested about $500 into getting him up and running, and things just really turned sour. When you mention invest $500, like uh, what, what sort of things, like um, just providing, you know, just a, a bump into prize support, or like uh, where, where did that money go? Because, I mean, yeah, money's tough for everybody, and if a judge is, is volunteering not only his time, uh, but but his money too. I think that's uh, that's worth you know, at least acknowledging that that's, that's something that goes on. Yeah. Um, so the owner that I worked with, he didn't have much experience working with like a rotating inventory. And I've had business classes, so I kind of know the basics of how it all works. So I offered to put up half of the money to purchase product to have for limited events and prizes in exchange for. I'm going to help you run this part of your business and it will be profitable for the both of us as well as for the players because it gives them somewhere to play. And the owner just didn't understand anything of what I was trying to help him do. And it just became a big mess. Wow. wow. I'm sorry to hear that. Okay. So it sounds like you've had a sort of a rough time with that. Um, but it can't all be bad. I mean, you've put in the time definitely to make it to level two um, you definitely, I mean, you're part of our California Canada Judge Challenge here, so you're definitely interested in making the world a better place for magic. The saving grace is Astral Games in Medford, Oregon. I was moving out of my parents' place and needed money and needed to not be spending a bunch of money on magic. So I quit, sold all my cards, moved out, and then about two sets later, a buddy of mine said, hey, there's this new store up in Medford that's running Friday Night Magics. You should come up with me sometime. So I said, well, what the heck? Make me a deck and we'll go. And that got my competitive juices flowing again. And I started playing again and spending a lot of money again. And the store was pretty okay at that time. The owners didn't really know much. The store changed hands a couple of times. And eventually it got to the point where the owners were just going to have to shut down the business entirely. That's when I started trying to run events again in Wairika, saying, hey, if the guys in Medford don't have anywhere to go, then they're more than welcome to come down to Wairika. It's only a 40-minute drive over one heck of a mountain, but it's here. Well, then this other guy, Aaron Hassel, he decided he's going to buy the business, and he took it over, took over the organization of the events, and I got in there, introduced myself. Um, this is before I was even a judge said, hey, you know what, I know you want to do this, I want to help you, I'm experienced in running the events, and I'm all right at all of this stuff, so I told him I will help you with all your delinquent events that the last organizer left you with, and that really got my foot in the door with the store, with the new owner, and I got him going with pretty much a clean slate with the DCI, because at that time... You, know, you had to have so little of a delinquency rating and everything else. And so that kind of got him off on the right foot and got me in the door. Then a couple months later, I go and I top eight a PTQ. And then um, we also have Matt Marr up there, who was a, I think, level three or level four pro at the time. And he is really good friends with Ricky Hayashi. 
And him and Ricky started talking at, I believe it was Worlds or some pro tour somewhere, and said, hey, we'd really like to get some bigger events up in Medford. What can we do? And Rick, Actually, this, let's, have, let's have Ricky this take story this story. This com- story is completely unbelievable. You top aided a PTQ, Michael? Uh, yeah, with you and Jose sitting right there. No, this was at the World Championships in Rome. Right. Matt Marr, I was familiar with from several other tournaments. We talked, we were, you know, we chatted, and he was always someone who was interested in judging. And I believe at Worlds, I stopped by his table and was like, how's it going, Matt? And he said, good. I just locked up, you know, level four or whatever it is that auto-qualifies him for all the pro tours in the next year. And so I laid on the standard, what I used to call the LSV plan, which is, well, now that you're qualified for pro tours, why don't you become a judge so that you can judge at PTQs? Nice. That's a great idea. How many level four level four pros can we get to do that, do you think? Well, as a matter of fact, I have got another one on the hook. He is judging at a PTQ up in Richmond next weekend, hopefully testing for level one. His name is Oren Beasley, and I promised him that if he passes L1, I will rename it the Beasley Plan because <laughs> that just sounds better. It's also important to note that LSV is no longer a judge. Calling it the LSV Plan is probably setting up for failure. Yeah, lazy, lazy guy. I mean, he's only busy running a website and winning Grand Prix, right? Okay, so how did that actually come back to Oregon? Michael, why don't you pick it up from here and tell us more? Okay, so Ricky had his conversation with Matt, and I guess the deal was, you know, they spoke about me, saying, you know, I've been doing all these great things up in Medford, getting him running, and so the plan was, Sure, I'll see if Conan wants to run a Grand Prix trial up there, and I'll come up and judge it for you guys on the condition that the two of you try to certify for level one. So Matt lets me know this plan. I started studying, and Ricky came up for Grand Prix trial Oakland, and we advertised the heck out of this event, trying to get as many people as we could because we want to show Wizards that, you know, we can run big events. We had 30 players for Grand Prix trial for Extended. So Ricky came up and he certified Matt and I. And uh, since then, I went down to Grand Prix Oakland as my first real event as a judge. Uh, Loved it and came back to Medford and said, okay, what's next? And started hatching plans for a big, you know, league trying to bring the stores together. And ever since then, it's just been a continuous plan of how can we bring bigger and better events to Medford. The store owner there has been really cooperative, um, wants to see the community grow just as much as the community wants to grow. And since then, we've been able to have multiple Grand Prix trials. Uh, we had a national qualifier see. We just actually had a free standard event that we ran at regular REL just to bring in numbers and we brought in 80 players which was the largest event that we'd ever held in that store which qualified us for premium status which now will let us run 32k events. Was this before or after the bannings? Uh, This actually was after the bannings. Okay. This was the first, I believe. I think this was the day after the bannings went into oh, effect. Oh, that's, 
that's a good good timing, good idea there. Good, yeah, it's a good idea. So, so it sounds like you've you sort of seen the 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 dark end of what can happen when a community stores really don't have an interest in helping it out, and you've seen the complete opposite also, sort of night and day between uh, where you actually live and where you actually play. If we had this interview two years from now, what sorts of amazing things would you be telling us about? Uh, well, I would hopefully be telling you that uh, Medford, Oregon would be the newest location on the West Coast to host a PTQ. Um, that has been my ultimate goal uh, since I became a judge, um, with the geographic regions being that Portland, which is 300 miles north of us, having a PTQ every season, and multiple PTQs down in the Bay Area and Sacramento, which is 300 miles south of us. We have a lot of players that want the opportunity to play at that level but can't afford those kind of trips. And that is the kind of game that I'm hoping to bring to Medford eventually. See, now that's inspiring to me because I'm trying to get uh, just a, you know, trying to set up some community here. Also, Michael, what you're showing us here is also sort of how the line between terminal organizer and judge gets blurred so easily um, for so many judges. So what does it mean for you to be both a terminal organizer and a judge? And do you ever find yourself in a situation, I guess, where, you know, the customer service instinct of a tournament organizer and the tournament integrity instinct of a judge collide or have any sort of conflict that you've seen? Oh, yes. Um, so while Astral Games is kind of an oasis in the middle of a bunch of nothing, um, this kind of stuff does happen a lot. Um, I believe it was, I think it was our national qualifier. Um, we had a lot of players that came from faraway areas and hadn't really played a lot of competitive events. Some of them, it was actually their first competitive event they've ever played. And I remember we had one player that just kind of ran into bad luck after bad luck after bad luck. Um, I think he had an issue with his DCI number, so we had to call him out to get that fixed. It wasn't really you know, a problem. It was just a matter of, hey, you, we, you gave us this DCI number. I think there's a number wrong in it, and so we got that fixed. Then he had a deck problem that we had to take care of, and we had to game loss him for that. Then he had another issue, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he just fell on a lot of different problems, and at one point, he just kind of gave up, um, conceded to his opponent, stormed out of the room, and the the actual tournament organizer was nowhere to be found at the moment. Um, I think he was handling some other business, and as the you know the the community leader there, I was the one that ended up having to chase him out, chase him outside, and kind of sit him down and talk to him and say, you know, we really want you to be having a good time here. I'm sorry that you know it seems like we're kind of picking on you, and just kind of explain to him, you know, what our role is as judges, um, and everything like that. And it was a really good feeling because you know he sat out the rest of the round. He decided not to drop from the event. He came back in. He didn't have any other issues the rest of the day. And at the end of the event, he actually came up to the tournament organizer and said, you know what, I'm glad I stuck in it. Um, After all the bad stuff that had happened, I really actually started having a good time. So, you know, there's one example of how as a, you know, the judge, I had to step in for customer service and all of that. Um, 
especially since I am kind of seen as the community leader in the area. Um, so that's one example. The other thing is, is that uh, we do have a couple of other stores in the Southern Oregon area, and they've been going through some drama lately. And being part of the community, I hear all this and I have to decide, you know, is this something I really need to get involved in or should I just, you know, let it run its course and then figure out what to do later? And, you know, being one of the heads of the community here, it can really be stressful. I can see that. Wow. So that's, again, sort of two sides of a coin. Um, that first story, by the way, um, truly inspiring. Well, I think you've really given us a great sense of who you are as a judge and what drives you, Michael. Um, that's just awesome. I, I guess I can't really... I, I'm a little off track from our agenda because of that. <laughs> Quick, Ricky, strike now. Well, we have some we have some lurkers. Indeed, we do. Okay. I don't, I well, don't know if any of them. I don't think Tasha wants to join in on this one, but maybe the the Dane would like to say something. We have a Viking in the room. Hey guys, I don't know if you can hear me. We can. Nice. So, so who can we hear, though? You haven't introduced yourself. <laughs> uh, my name is Andreas Jepsen, uh, level three from Denmark. Okay, so actually one of our first international judges to make it to one of our U.S. recordings. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sitting uh, literally feet away from Ricky. <laughs> it's hard to hear. It did, did he say he is playing with Ricky's feet? <laughs> <laughs> I, that's what I thought I heard. Yeah, but Andreas is in town staying with us for an epic, uh, what, three-week journey? Yeah, I'm over here for um, three Star City Games uh, events. Three weekends straight. It's my summer vacation. Well, you get free lodging the entire time, though, right? Well, I'm staying with uh, Ricky and Tasha for the days in between and then some hotels during the weekends. And are you being allowed to uh, head judge any of these events that you've got coming up, or is it strictly level three on the floor? I am head judging Cincinnati this weekend. Everyone from all around will show up, um, maybe 600 people this weekend for Andreas. And then he's coming with us to Seattle, and we're going to come back to Roanoke after that and then drive up to, where's the third one? Oh, Pittsburgh, where he will be a floor judge. And I will be a player my first time playing in a Star City Games Open after all these years. So, Andreas, uh, can you settle something for me here? Oh. Who actually won the challenge between you folks in Northern Europe and Kevin Binswanger in the southeast, southwest of the U.S.? Well, well we did, but... Um Obviously, once we announced it, uh, Kevin was a bad loser and claimed he had already won. Uh, so we need some sort of arbiter to uh, to figure out who actually won. I'm so, pretty so sure we did. So, so, okay, this was a race to 55 total levels, is that correct? 50. 50 total levels, okay. Yeah. Um, so when was the one that you won? What was that, that certification that put you over the top? Who was that and where did they certify and when? Uh, we reached 51 during Swedish Nationals. With a total of six promotions. Wow, six promotions. Yeah, wow. three, three near level ones and three level twos. That's incredible. 
I mean, that, that's like basically everybody in the country leveling up. Is that more oh, or less the on. case? <laughs> well, there were some foreigners there as well. But Sweden have uh, 20-something judges now. Wow. Okay. It's not quite resolved in far, as far as actually paying up uh, for dinner or however it was that you worked it out with Kevin. Um, but how has the actual process of going through the challenge changed things for the countries that are associated with you where you've been a part of it? Well, nothing really. Um, we were already certifying new judges all around and uh, trying to up our numbers. Um, the challenge was just a a task of beating Kevin uh, <laughs> Texas. It's, it's all about just beating Kevin. Yeah, exactly. Yep, he got bang-swinged. Right, well, he, he's been a guest of ours a couple times, so we'll have to uh, get his side of the story, of course, to be fair and balanced here. But... Uh, Fair and balanced. That's not. That's not very journalistic of you. I know it's not. And definitely not the Viking way. <laughs> <laughs> we must pillage this contest. Yeah. Keep it. Keep it positive and keep it pleasant. So. Well, on that note, let's talk about what Bastards Canada are. Andres, you know what. Uh, <clears throat> You know that we're also in the midst of a challenge ourselves, sort of. We started off uh, the arrogant Californians challenging Spain because Ricky was, you know... No, that... I'm sorry, but that was a very scientific contest because California and Spain were very similar in total population and total size, like area, you know, square miles. And obviously also in judges, so... I very scientifically picked a, a, a quote-unquote equal matchup. Okay. So what you're saying is that with Canada, we may have bit off more than we can chew. They have a lot of empty white space. That's true. But and I'm not talking about the snow. <laughs> oh, oh gotcha. Well, well, you realize nah. that half of California is also empty white space, right? That's that's the half that you're in, right, Michael? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, once you, it, it throws people off. Like when you tell them, oh, I live in Northern California, you know, Sacramento is technically Northern California. But then, like, we're actually, like, just in the middle of the state. There's a whole, like, other half of the state uh, uh, above us that, you know, doesn't get a lot of press because, you know, they they don't have, uh, uh, you know, Twitter and they don't have, uh, you know. Obviously, they're we barely have internets up here. So, so in some ways, we're actually very similar with California and Canada both having all, most of their population concentrated in some very specific geographic locations. Um, I guess that sort of makes sense. So I, I think it also makes sense that we, of course, would as the you – know, I guess we sort of play the boorish Americans in this whole battle up against the, the noble, friendly, non-conflict-generating Canadians – if you haven't been following us, um, California and Canada are in the midst of a challenge, which is a race to five levels up and 100 total judges in our areas. Um, and right now, um, we are sort of in a pretty pitched battle. We're very close. Um, Jose, did you take a look at the current tally, or who was the took a look at current tally right now? Eric uh, I did not. I just finished looking up uh, where Michael Bolton was born. New Haven, <laughs> Connecticut, for those uh, wondering. <sighs> God, I really, okay. 
Oh, I, I have thought to continue. Was Canadian. I thought it was a good segue. <laughs> no, he's from New Haven, Connecticut. So I'm like, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> okay, you know what, guys? Seriously. Oh, man, that was way too good. Do not cut that part out. <laughs> okay. Let's get I just thought Ricky was here so he would do all the fact checking. <laughs> you know, right, looking, so, up, looking up the tally and whatnot. Michael, now you see what I have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> we have this race right now. I think Eric, you're right, Ricky. Eric Levine sort of gave us a, a little update on where the count stood in D- DCIX, which is sort of the um, the arbiter, as far as we're concerned, for where these uh, levels up and and uh, promotion certifications are all counted. Uh, right now, DCIX is showing that there are 91 judges in Canada and 90 judges in California. Now that and, I know, and what, is, what a, is this uh, DCIX for those of us who don't know? That's the Judge Center. Uh, if you go to judge.wizards.com, you can actually see it for yourself. Um, you can put it in, you know, review of judges. You can do all sorts of things there. Um, including uh, setting up exams uh, for yourself to test your own rules knowledge, uh, to become a rules advisor, all sorts of things. Judge.wizards.com. You know, you know the one thing missing from uh, DCIX. What's that? There is no link for people to email us here at judgecast at gmail.com. Well, that's because we're not part of Hasbro. We're our own independent sort of thing. I was once a part of Hasbro. Were you? This is a banter. This is actually a banter. A banter that I'm willing to go down. What What, what have you got? Oh, uh, I did art direction for a community magazine for Wizards of the Coast. I uh, used my charm and wit in order to uh, uh, have uh, people uh, do artwork for uh, a community magazine. I got to work with uh, Penny Williams, uh, wife of Skip Williams, who is uh, one of the architects of uh, 3.5, or 3.0, D&D 3.0. And uh, yeah, it was a a great time. Great time working with him. Wow. That's that's a little piece of Jose history I did not know. Ah, you thought I was all, you know, useless banter and Michael Bolton, didn't you? I, granted, you know, I really don't know how much of you is comprised of Michael Bolton, but I did not realize that it was as much as it was until tonight. So, so DCIX is the judge center, um, and from there, we've determined the number of judges, thanks to Eric Levine. He did a quick little search on there for us. Um, the other part of this challenge between us and Canada is levels up, and I believe we're actually in the lead in that regard, except that, of course, some of those aren't showing up in, in the Judge Center just yet, um, just like a couple of our certifications aren't showing up in the Judge Center just yet. Um, in the last three days, or the last uh, four days since the pre-release, I've actually certified two more Level 1 judges who are not showing up in the Judge Center, so we may actually be ahead of Canada, 92 to 91. Um, those two judges were, of course, Kenneth Fortson, who is one of the leaders in my community down here at Endgame in Oakland. Um, and also uh, Jeff Venturino, which actually, Michael, you're familiar with Jeff. Yes. Um, I started working with Jeff right after I became a level one. Um, one of my big ideas to, with you know building the community here 
was to try to get different stores to interact with each other. And to that end, I created an inter-store league where we tried to get players from each store to go to an event at a different store, and we had a big point system, and the end of it was whichever team ended up doing the best, whichever store did the best, we gave four of those players, we paid their way at the national qualifier that was to be held at the end of the end of our events. Um, this was the year before they split up the national qualifiers so that almost all the good stores, or not good stores, but all the, you know, big stores had a national qualifier. It was still the regional national qualifiers, and our closest one was Portland. So we paid for four players to go compete at that particular qualifier. And one of the stores that I worked with was New Games in Arcata, California. And Jeff Venturino was my contact there and uh, was the person there that was interested in becoming a judge. So in part of everything that I've been trying to do, I've been trying to get a level one judge at each of our stores. And so he was my contact there and been working with him ever since. Saw him uh, try to take his test in Portland and then uh, just been working with him ever since and was happy to see that Sean could step in with the assist on the certification there. Yeah, well, it was actually his story about his um, testing in Portland is sort of, it's it's bittersweet in that he'd failed his test, but he attributes one of the reasons he failed to being surrounded by some pretty awesome people and therefore being distracted. Um, that is, while he's taking his test in the judge room, he's got R.K. Post, Mark Tadine, um and the other artist that was up there at Grand Prix Portland um, all talking about the old days of magic. And, I mean, what judge wouldn't just be completely distracted by that conversation? All right, guys. I, I looked up the numbers, and Eric has forgotten to subtract the Baja California judge. Okay. So on DCIX, California is at 89. Okay. Well, that just means that I guess we're about even. We're neck and neck at 91, 91 each if we account for the two that have been certified since um, – that that I know do not show up in the system just yet. Beyond this though, beyond the actual getting people certified to level one, the other side of the challenge, uh, levels up, we actually, I believe, are ahead. I believe we're ahead in that regard. Um, and that is because um, in Canada they've had one level up from one to two, and I think in California here, we've had three. Three? Now, I don't think, I, I'm not sure that whether or not two of those are in the system yet, um, but I was talking to David Zimmett earlier today, and he indicated to me that there were two more um, down in his neck of the woods, one of whom is Josh Stansfield, who was our, our number 75 to put us over the top against Spain, um, scored from what David indicated, 96% on his level two exam, um, which is phenomenal. Um, Sweet Jiminy Christmas. And then there's actually another uh, person who's leveled up um, in that time as well. He just needs to make sure that the review goes in properly and gets put in. So um, that's where we are with regard to the California-Canada challenge at the moment. Um, Canada will be destroyed, of course. Um, we will Canada should have a chance to uh, respond on air, don't you think? I think so. I think we'll actually give one of their representatives a chance to respond on air. Um, I think perhaps Charlotte Sable in the near future here 
Uh, she's indicated that she would like to be a guest, and I think we can accommodate that. Um, we'll probably have to negotiate some sort of terms ahead of time. For instance, she can't start singing her national anthem, or you know, we'll have to keep the references to hockey down to a minimum. Um, we'll we'll find find some good terms and conditions, but we'd love to have her on the show. So that's all we have on the challenge. Uh, we did have a couple listener questions that we wanted to cover, so let's move on into that. On to listener questions. Mail time. There we go. So uh, I love when he does the mail time. <laughs> So this is um, a question that comes in from Joel Granger. And actually, Joel is from England. He actually tells us where he's from, so we can't make fun of that, aside from making fun of the fact that he's English. Um, Good eye, mate. That, that's... <laughs> okay. Um... That was very not English. <laughs> See, Ricky, you have just lost the fifth grade geography bee. Um, oh man, that was awesome! Uh, Joel has an idea. He's actually um, asked. Wait, wait, wait! Um, what? Aren't you supposed to read it with an English accent, like you did that Russian guy that one time? Oh God! Um, um accent, accent, okay, okay, okay! Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up! Shut up. Okay, I, I need to just channel my inner Colin Firth here. Just give me a second. Oh, okay. Well, we don't want you to stutter. Okay, my inner my inner Jeffrey Rush then. Um, or you don't want me to talk in pirate, do you? Okay, I'll have to figure this out. Oh God, I, you know I can't even think. What does an English person sound like? Because you just you just uh, obviously <laughs> think, think Austin Powers. <laughs> okay, what does a non sleazy English person sound like? They don't exist. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. <clears throat> That's a good start. Oh, dear. That sounds like something. Oh, dear. There you go. I have an idea for you. With magic being such an international game, it dawns on me that there's no guide on how to say commonly used magic terminology in the various languages. For example, highest die roll chooses. Your turn. How many cards? Could Ricky help you start the first one with Japanese? It would be very nice to cover all the languages where Grand Prix and Pro Tour events are played. I love the cast and heard all your series to date. Cheerio, Joel. Really? Did he actually write Cheerio? No. <laughs> okay. Good ad lib. So did you actually actually listen to the question? No. I have read the question beforehand. We were too busy laughing. I did my homework. <laughs> there aren't that many Japanese players or... You know, players from any countries that travel frequently enough that you would need this who aren't already versed in what we call magic English. Yeah, most players playing at a GP level should be able to know stuff like hands in your turn. The point here is that magic is a universal game. I mean, we've we've got stuff like Duels of the Planeswalkers, we have Magic Online... Those those are all in English, but we know that people play them worldwide. And so when you when you sit down, that's one of the beautiful things about the game, is when you sit down across from someone at a Pro Tour or a Grand Prix in another country, you can converse in a way that you would not be able to converse with them otherwise. It's basically like saying magic is its own language. Yeah. Yeah. I can see uh, that. I- 
I think it is. Like in, at European Grand Prix, we often have a situation where, for example, we have a German player playing a French player and a Spanish guy on answers a judge call, and we have translators involved. Um, it's not really a problem. Of course, if there's a ruling, we're going to need a translator to figure out what they're saying, but, I, but I've seen plenty of games being played without a single word being spoken. Yeah, and I've seen plenty of rulings made with just pointing to cards and making hand gestures. And, and um, just as a test, I think what people should try is go to your local game store and try playing a game of magic against someone without saying anything. It's actually very easy. I mean, you can do it all with pointing and, you know, the the classic handout for go-ahead and all that. I've actually done that as a kid playing on the kitchen table with my parents trying to sleep in the next room. <laughs> That's hardcore. I like that. Yeah. Actually, that, that actually speaks to, to what an awesome and interesting nerd you are, Michael, in that probably every other kid that's done something in the other room trying to keep the parents from waking up has not been playing magic while they're doing it. Yeah, that just shows exactly how nerdy I am. And now, see, I've gotten – you've gotten me into the banter. Thing. You, I, I've, I've gone over to the dark side here. Um, <clears throat> More mail. We have one question because we've recorded so recently. Oh dear. Okay, I'm gonna have to really work to pronounce his name because actually he helped me out here with his name because it's Swedish. So maybe this comes from David Stalhen. No, wait. Stahl. Stolhen. David Stolhen. Stolhen. Okay. Thank you. See, this is this is exactly why we needed a Northern European on the cast today. What? What a remarkable coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I know, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I'm impressed. Uh, we did not actually plan this. This comes from oh. David Stulhan. Wait, do you know this guy, Andreas? Uh, yes. Oh. oh. Well. Then Small world. <laughs> Tiny. Was, yes. Weren't we wow. just talking about how magic is like a this universal game? Come on. The segue here should be pretty pretty good. Like, you can see the relation here. Indeed. We, we happen to, Andreas happens to be staying at Ricky Hayashi's place <laughs> for three weeks and happens to know a guy who asks us a random question on our Judge Cast mail list. Right. That is the sort of community you join when you uh, become a judge. Everybody knows everybody eventually. Who yes. are you again? <laughs> I am Ricky Hayashi, level three, Roanoke, Virginia. Well, Ricky, maybe you can answer this question for us. Um, and I'm not going to try to insult Andreas or anybody else in Northern Europe by using a Swedish accent. I've done this before on the show. I will not do it in his presence. Um, Actually, you just did Swedish chef, didn't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you didn't even do Swedish. You just did Swedish chef. That's close enough. That's, that's offensive enough. And, yeah, I'm not going to try. Um, so I have a question that came up at a GP recently. Aaron is playing against Zod. Aaron controls a precursor golem along with its tokens, and he casts Refraction Trap during his first main phase, targeting his golem. It's copied onto each golem as all copies resolve. Oh, I'm sorry, and all copies resolves. Um, Aaron enters his declared attacker's phase. Zod yells, Kneel before Zod! And with that <laughs> lightning bolt. <laughs> 
dang. Was that actually in the email or was that an ad lib? No, no. He says it. Kneel before Zod. Yep. Br- brilliant. Um, so, kneel before Zod! And casts Lightning Bolt, targeting Aaron. Which is, I mean, this is a little strange for me here because um, Aaron has the golem and its tokens, but Zod is bolting Aaron and not the token. But that, whatever. That's the choice he's made. So, what choices does Aaron have? Can he assign one damage to each golem's copy of Refraction Trap and have each golem deal a point of damage, therefore, you know, all three of them get to live? Um, or does he have to select one of the traps and give all the three damage to that copy? So Refraction Trap, let me just refresh everybody's memory before we get into the actual nuts and bolts of the question here. Uh, refraction Trap is um, one of the, the traps from Zendikar Block, um, and it's a, it's a red It's one. a trap! And it says... Um, if an opponent casts a red sorcery spell this turn, you may pay uh, some reduced cost rather than pay refraction traps, mana cost, yay, crap. Okay. The real thing it does, prevent the next three damage that a source of your choice would deal to you and or permits you control this turn. If damage is prevented this way, refraction trap deals that much damage to target creature or player. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a pretty straightforward wording of the card. Precursor Golem. Um, it's a golem. It makes it's a it's a five mana cost three three golem, artifact creature. Um, and also, um, when it enters the battlefield, you put two three three colorless golem artifact tokens, um, artifact creature tokens rather, on the battlefield. Whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery that targets only a single golem, that player copies that spell for each other golem that spell could target. Each copy targets a different one of those golems. Ricky, do you want to take on this a little bit or? Do you mean real Ricky or fake Ricky? Um, actually, either one of you. Let, let's see which, which Kirk is the right, real one. I'm Captain Kirk. I don't even get that. Oh. You should look man. it up on YouTube. There's an episode of Star Trek where uh, some there was like a... I think it was a good Captain Kirk and a bad Captain Kirk because he got split in the transporter. And then the... <laughs> Darn computers. What, the, I think the good <laughs> Captain Kirk, the good ca- Captain Kirk was making an announcement to the crew, and then the evil Captain Kirk was raging in his room going, I'm Captain Kirk! You know, in typical Shatnerian elegance. How do we, uh, how do we address David's question here? So, f- first you're saying we're assuming that the refraction trap is cast in response to the lightning bolt, correct? Well, yeah, we need to assume you have that. Because you have to have the source... To choose right, and that's that's something that actually is probably worth noting here is that when you cast refraction trap, um, as it resolves, you need to choose a source then and there. Yeah, uh, you and can't you, choose and the, some random source in the future or wait for a source to appear and choose that after a refraction trap is resolved. You need the source there. That lightning bolt I know is in your hand. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> no, that doesn't work at all. In fact, even if you're playing with telepathy on the battlefield, you can't say, that lightning bolt in your hand, I'm choosing with this refraction trap. I mean, you need that source either on the stack or on the bat- on the battlefield, or it needs to be... Identifiable. You know, yeah, it needs to be in a public zone. Okay, maybe let's reword it to keep it simple. Um, in fact, I think in my in my discussion with David answering this question offline, I sort of rephrased it. So, Aaron has his guys, and Aaron is, say, at three life. Okay? 
Aaron has the refraction trap in his hand. Zod has lightning bolt in his hand. Okay. Zod attacks with all of his golems, and Aaron says, Kneel before Zod! This is therefore a shortcut for I cast lightning, lightning bolt targeting your ugly mug, sir. Um, Aaron says, well, that was awkward. Um, so I'm going to target my own golem with refraction trap because for some reason I can't target you. Um, and even... Uh, more awkward, for each of those copies, I'm going to choose the same lightning bolt as the source that it's going to prevent. Okay, sounds like a plan. Everything resolves, you know, and now we need to know where that damage can go. He has to choose. Okay, and he can't choose one damage for each of the refraction traps for each of the golems. He has to apply one replacement effect for one of the refraction traps until it doesn't apply anymore and then we'll apply the other replacement effects if we can also apply them. Right, so you have the three replacement effects. You have to choose one, and it says, instead of dealing three damage to you, uh, or, or just prevent it, and then if damage is prevented in that way, it deals three damage to one of the golems. Right, but it's only going to deal the damage to one of them. It's not going to be able to divide it up among them. Right, because the other two replacement effects say, we'll try to prevent the damage. There's nothing there to prevent anymore because it's already been prevented, and it will do nothing. All right. Um, let's see. We have one other question. Um, this actually didn't come into our inbox. This came into my personal inbox, uh, an email. We do have the, the copy, the, the question here. It was from Zod. Oh, no. Uh, in in the negative asked. zone. Zod asks. Zod asks. <laughs> Let's say I have a lightning bolt, okay? <laughs> Zod asks, um, I have a land, and that land has been turned into a 3-3. Let's say it's a uh, treetop village where I've activated the activated <laughs> ability. Um, so I've activated it, and then um, I play Rite of Replication targeting that land. I want to know, do I get a bunch of 3-3s, three or what, if not, what do I get instead and why? Okay. Well, answer okay. the question. Oh, uh, you get a bunch of lands. You get a bunch of lands, sure. Are they also creatures? Uh, not at the moment. Okay. And they are also tapped. Right? Ooh. Because because they enter the battlefield tapped because they're treetop villages, and treetop village enters the battlefield tapped, sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, wh why that is? Is that what you're asking? Well, sure. That's that's actually getting into the more the deeper part of the rules that I'd want to go into with this question. Um, and that is, what are the copyable values of this treetop village, Jose? The name, the type, abilities in the text box, and if it was a creature, it would have uh, power toughness. As a copyable okay. value. That's, and that's CDAs, I guess. That's most of them. Um, there are a couple other copyable values. Um, well, and we're also assuming copying the values of a permanent. Uh, if we copied a spell, we'd be copying whatever X is and whatever its targets right. were, um, what choices were made for it, for instance, if it was kicked, um, that sort of thing. So, but yeah, also, name, card type, subtype, expansion symbol. Yes. And, and that, that matters for things like... Uh, 
City in a Bottle, I guess. City in a Bottle. Hey, uh, my my favorite card, Apocalypse Chime. I ever tell you you guys about the infinite damage combo with Apocalypse Chime? Um, I'm willing to take this aside. Go for it. Oh, yeah, I built this deck. See, because when you think about the absolute worst cards of Magic, I mean, there's some really bad ones. And, you know, sometimes as a uh, deck builder, you want to challenge yourself uh, to be able to kill somebody using the worst cards possible. So to me, personally, the worst card in Magic, the most useless, useless card in Magic would have to be Apocalypse Chime, which is in, in you know, the uh, vein of City in a Bottle and Golgothian Silex. It's one of those cards that basically hoses other cards from the expansion it's from. Well, Apocalypse Chime is from Homelands. What it does, it so, actually says two, two mana artifact, two mm-hmm. tap, sacrifice Apocalypse Chime, destroy all non-token permanents from the Homelands expansion. They can't be regenerated. Right, and that non-tokens bit is in the Oracle text. It's not printed on the card because on the card it says all cards, and that's later been changed to all non-token permanents. But, yeah, it's about the same. Yeah, it also says bury, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> Remember that? Yes. Back when things got buried, now they just die. (laughs) So tell me about this infinite damage combo with Apocalypse Chime. I'm somehow thinking it's a little bit impossible. Well, you need to set up, and you can do this in any number of ways. The way I did it was, you know, with, um, uh, I think it was Tangle Core, or what's that one? Tangle Root, or something like that. Basically, you need to generate infinite green mana, okay? So once you have infinite green mana, which, you know, when you're when you're a Johnny and you're building combo decks, the infinite mana engine is a thing in and of itself to consider for a deck, but usually what you want to do is show off how amazing uh, your deck is once it has that thing. Like, there's a bunch of ways to do it, like, you know, um, uh, Intruder Alarm, Birds of Paradise, and a Token Maker, or things like that, you know? So, anyway, so generate infinite green mana. Have on the battlefield a Feldegriff. Following me so far? So okay. you're, you're so, playing a Feldegriff in your deck and an Apocalypse Chime so far. So Feldegriff is the, the group hug general, basically people would know from Commander, where it's white, green, and blue, and you can pay a white to do something awesome and give somebody two life, a blue to do something awesome for the creature, and what does it benefit? the? Oh, they, they get to draw a card or something? Uh, yeah, you get to bounce it back to your hand and target opponent draws a card. Uh, and then, it gets flying and somebody gains two life. And it gains trample and you give somebody a 1-1 one, one green hippo. Okay. Green. Right. Okay, so you get infinite green mana and you give them infinite green hippo tokens. You give them infinite green hippo tokens, okay? I'm trying to find the, the card that actually makes it work. I, I forgot what the, this card is called. <laughs> Hold on, it, it, it exists. Let me just find it. What does it do? Uh, I don't want to give it away yet. Well, if Jose, if you tell us what it does, maybe we can help you find it. Yeah, I mean, the logical change I would have with this is something like uh, Aether Flash and Dingus Staff, where you would say you get infinite green hippo tokens, um, they all take two damage when they come in, and then you take two damage when they die. 
Okay. Yeah, problem is that doesn't kill anybody with Apocalypse Chime. This thing kills people because you set off Apocalypse Chime. Well, that's right. why I'm, I'm proposing these alternatives because so far I haven't heard a good one with Apocalypse Chime. Okay, okay. So I found the card, by the way. Um, okay, so you have that. All right. They have infinite green hippo tokens. You have a, a trampling Feldegriff. You then play a Anhava Constable. What? <laughs> that has toughness equal to the number of green creatures in play? Yes. Okay. <laughs> More importantly, it's from Homelands. Right. <laughs> then you cast Reigns of Power. <laughs> okay. So then so they it, get the constable. Yeah, and you, you get basically the you basically find a way to donate the constable to them. Okay. Okay. Right. Got it so yeah. far. Okay. Now next, what? you can play shriveling rot. Okay, this is something I'm going to have to hear what it does because I have no no clue. Right. This is the one that I had to find. Obscure dark steel rare. Uh, two and two black instant modal spell. Choose one. Until end of turn, whenever a creature is dealt damage, destroy it. Or until end of turn, whenever a creature dies, that creature's controller loses life equal to its toughness. Set off apocalypse time. On how the constable dies under your opponent's control, bam! Infinite wow. life loss. Okay, so that was only, what, five cards, four cards? It, it is a convoluted combo, but as soon as you play Apocalypse Chime and your opponent laughs and then you kill them with that Anhava Constable, wow. it's so sweet. So sweet. Okay. Well, And, and this was another episode of Jose's Mad Scientist Corner. Okay, um, Jose, give me a good reason to play Snowfall. Snowfall. Oh, that's, that's one that's been plaguing me, let me tell you. I've thought about it. I haven't thought about it for a long time, but I really did uh, want to get Snowfall to uh, do something. Okay, well, Snowfall, Mudhole, I mean, Magic is full of terrible cards we could go all day out talking about. But I want to actually move on to the last thing in our agenda, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay. I'm done. I'm done talking. Okay. Banter Hammer has fallen. Boom. Okay. Um, that's not really a sound effect. I'll cut that out. Um, let's see. So... The last thing I wanted to cover today is something cool that's come up, and this actually, because we cover a lot of things that are related to tournament organizing, um, I figured we short, should sort of have a short segment toward the end here called our sort of tournament organizer corner, and there's one cool thing coming up that I really hope people get engaged in, um, and that's Magic Celebration. Now, I don't think I've heard what? of... What? Yeah, I don't think I've heard of a weirder named <laughs> event... Celebrate good cards. Come on. No, well, hold on. Hold on, Jose. You're saying good cards, but this is actually surrounding Magic 2012. So, I mean, that's relative, isn't it? What um, are you talking about? Sundial <laughs> of the Infinite? You know how excited I am to build decks with that? No, I... Okay. No, no, no. I, I understand. I understand. There's a, there's a lot of good, interesting cards in there. I just, I made them a little bitter because they didn't open any Planeswalkers in my box from the pre-release, but so it Oh, yeah. Oh, you want, you want bad beats on opens? Tasha and I played Two-Headed Giant at the pre-release. I got the card I wanted. All I wanted to do was open Arachnus Spider in eight packs, which is what you get for Two-Headed Giant. We got the Spider 
and zero webs. Zero oh. arachnus webs. That is that is sad. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, back to Magic Celebration, though. Um, yes, what is this? Magic Celebration is an event that's planned in September. Um, it's meant to be the Magic, you know, Wizards has this little website up uh, for TOs, and it's just talking about how it's meant to be the climactic conclusion to all the summer magic programs. And it's happening right in your store. Okay. Well, what it basically is, is the stores are going to take um, three boxes of Magic 2012. The first four players that purchase a deck builder's toolkit also get a t-shirt. And the t-shirt actually looks kind of kind of sweet. It's got a little Planeswalker symbol on it and stuff. Basically, it's Mini Master. <laughs> really? Yes. So the store takes... Um, three of their Magic 2012 boxes, um, and they actually get a bunch of promotional materials also. They get a, a big Gideon sort of standy cardboard thing to oh, stand the, up there. To go along with the sword one they had a while right. ago. Right. Um, and basically, what you do is you t- so for those of you who aren't familiar with Minimaster, it's, a, it's an awesome format, especially when you don't have a ton of players around or when you don't have a ton of money to play Magic, you can still play this and get a lot of value out of it. Um, and basically, it's take one pack, take three of each basic land, and go from there. So, um, and, and what you actually should do, um, if you're really going to play this the way it's intended to be played, is that you take your pack um, and you open it so that you cannot see the cards inside, or at least what they are. You just open it blind, so you just have the backs of them to you. Um, sometimes that can be confusing if there's a foil in the pack, because it's very easy to pull out the token card and usually you just leave the basic land in there because it's just easier to deal with as opposed to maybe mistakenly revealing what the foil is because that's even more fun when you realize that you've been shuffling for the last 15 minutes and you've been shuffling your foil Garrick or something like that um, without any sleeves. But nonetheless, it's a blast. That is kind of cool. Um, that's funny that you mentioned Mini Masters like that, though. Like um, They have different versions of Mini Master at different, uh, different events. Uh, GP, I remember this because uh, my girlfriend Kitty um, loves Mini Master. She was really excited to play Mini Master GP Portland. And uh, what it was there was two packs, and um, you build a 30-card deck out of it, something like that. So it's like really like super small sealed, I think maybe would be a better name for it. Because I also have heard of Mini Master the way you describe it, Sean. Right, well, and... And, you know, playing with a smaller amount of product than you're used to playing for, say, Sealed, um, it goes by all sorts of different names depending on the actual rules that you're playing with and, you know, how many people you're playing against and that sort of thing. Um, you know, the Mini Master I've seen with all sorts of different variants, maybe two packs and five of each basic land um, or, you know, all sorts of other ways of running it. It's really cool, I think, that, you know, Wizards is actually supporting with product, with promotional materials, with... Um, basically this this very casual, very fun sort of play. Um, and it's intended also to help sort of, there's a bunch of tie-ins with the more, uh, the digital forms of you new know, Duels of the Planeswalkers where people who have that get special codes back and forth. So you get something for playing in the Minimaster event that you can use back online and back and forth. So, yeah. And this is on September 10th? Um, yes, I do believe so. All right. Well, I will be in Atlanta for the Star City Games Atlanta Open, and 
We're, we're also going to be having a judge conference out there on the Friday preceding the open weekend. Yes. I believe we're, we're trying to get uh, CJ Schrader to be a guest on here yet to talk about that. Maybe yes, indeed. In a couple weeks. Yes, CJ is planning on being a guest of ours at some point in the future here, and one of the things we wanted to talk about is definitely the judge conference. Um, it's one thing that, as sort of a leader in the southeast there, he's he's definitely uh, had a lot of time and energy involved in. Well, I am looking forward to CJ being on. I'm looking forward to the conference down there. Atlanta is a great crossroads for the southeast you know, it's kind of right between Roanoke and Florida, which are the two powers, I guess, of judging in the area. And, but we're trying to build everything in between up, and this is a great opportunity to do that. Um, do we have anything else that we want to uh, add into this? Did we want to get into the um, question I brought up earlier about players registering and then dropping with a sealed pool at a pre-release? Yes, so, Michael, uh, you had an interesting thing come up at a pre-release um, for Magic 2012 here, um, and you wanted to mention it. Yeah, um, so I just wanted to see how other people thought of or dealt with it, but um, we had a player actually come up, and he you know, didn't have very much time to be at the pre-release that day, and he came in, perfectly announced his intent to sign up for the event, open a sealed pool, play one round, and then drop. I was wondering how anyone else has dealt with that. Uh, yeah, there's actually sort of an official way to go about it, too, uh, from Wizards' perspective. Um, basically, if they intend not to play, um, when you give them the product, make sure that they know that they have to open the packs there on the site because they can't take them with them to go sell them on eBay. They can sell their prize packs if they want to, but they can't sell the packs that you give them um, because that would be more or less tantamount to selling the product before the street day for it. So what you're giving them is tournament operations product, and they need to at least open it before they leave. Um, the extent to which you can enforce that, you know, I mean, you're not going to barricade the door or tackle them or anything like that, but you're definitely going to be strongly encourage and indicate that you expect them to open the product before they leave the store. Um, so that's that's one part of it. But it's perfectly acceptable for them to say, you know, I'm not intending to play here um, and I'm not going to, so, you know, give me my packs, I'll crack them and leave. Um, that's something that is not actually too uncommon. Um, I actually had it happen to me at this Magic 2012 pre-release also. Um one thing, though, is sort of dealing with that player um, enrolled in the tournament because they're enrolled in the tournament. Um, they've signed up for it. Um, you know, they need to be in round one somewhere. Um, so normally what I'll do is if I have an odd number of players, that player um, is the odd player out. I will, um, you know, make sure that they get the buy for that first round. Um, and then, you know, they're not there. Everybody who came intending to play gets to play, and people who didn't don't, and they leave. Okay. And what about in a situation where you have a limited product to begin with, a limited amount, and if that player were to be you know, the last player that you could put in the event and he's blocking someone from actually being able to play in the event and that intended to play? 
Ah, that's a good question. Um, that get, is, I think... Well, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, get there sooner, yo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I... That that's a that's a feel bad moment, but uh, I don't think there's anything you can do about it. I mean, honestly, <laughs> the guy got there. He's in line. He shows up, pays for his product, and you know whatever whatever he wants to do with it. Uh, we're judges. We're judges, but we can't really be the arbiter of who's going to have more fun with the product. Well, that's true. Actually, I, Ricky. Tell me more about why you think we can't intervene in this case, or do you think that from the tournament organizer's perspective we could? No, not well, even as not even as a TO. I mean, this guy is telling you he's gonna he's gonna pay his entry fee, sit there, open his product, play a round of magic, and then leave. Like some people do that anyway without telling you. Well, right, so, if he's gonna play play around. That's different. If he's just there to get the packs and, okay, oh, I didn't know I had to crack him. Well, I guess I will anyway, and then I'll, I'll leave in the middle of deck construction. I, I still don't see anything wrong with that. Like, the, the question, I think, kind of is crafted to make the guy sound like, like a, you know, a douche. But some people have other responsibilities. Some people have kids. Some people have a lot of stuff they got to do. And what do they want to do? Go to their pre-release and open some sweet new product. Like the question sounds like the the guy is scruffy, rolls out of bed, <laughs> drops in unshowered, unkempt into the right. into the place and starts bragging that he's going to steal some candy from a baby. And by the way, I'm going to take this product and uh, not let somebody else play. While that may have actually been the case, I don't know. It's a, you know you can also picture some guy who's a doctor and he's about to go on call and. He says, you know, I, I can't be here uh, as soon as I go on call because, you know, I got to be uh, available to uh, to go somewhere, save some lives. And uh, but I do want my magic cards. So um, here I am. Here's my uh, very green money. Yeah, as a TO, I still would have a bad feeling about that. If you take the limit out, there's no issue. I think it's really a, a gut check for the TO. Um, and it's a customer service question for the TO. That's handling it on a case-by-case -case basis, but as a general rule, um, the guy got there first, and he is there uh, with his money, and, you know, if he can play, he can. If he can't, he can't. Well, but the overriding philosophy here is that we want people to play magic in organized play. You know, we want them to play. We want the outcome of the tournament. We want all the different things that go into the tournament, we want all of that to be predicated on the fact that people are playing magic. Right. And here we're sort of saying, well, even though we know you're not going to play playing magic, that's okay. You're still paying for it. So that's the defining thing. Right. Well, by, by that logic, you can uh, talk about a venue that has limited space turning away fat people um, because that way we can get two people to play magic instead of uh, one big fat guy. Because we want more people to play Magic. Okay, sure. I see what you're saying there. Although I do know stores that do have like space a, limitations. That is common. Like that's well, not a not only that, that's not a stretch. <laughs> like, but if I'm a tournament organizer and you know there's a 500 pound player that breaks a chair of mine every time he comes in, I'm going to definitely talk to him and say, "Look, I would really like to have you as a customer here, but I can't have you breaking my chairs." Um, if you break another chair, I can't have you back to play. <sighs> but even then, 
I don't know. It, it, <sighs> yeah, it's it's a tough one. It it is, and it does fall on the to if he wants to, you know, make a value judgment there and decide that a guy showing up who knows he cannot play uh, that day is worth a slot of a person who knows they can. I don't exactly know if there's a, a right call, but I, I, I'm kind of in Ricky's camp. I don't think you can turn a guy like that away because I'm not going to make the call of whether, you know, uh, he has a valid reason or whether I like his reason or not. You know, if, if, we're, if we've got two people, they both got there at the last minute and, you know, they're the last two people to enter, but you only have product for one. One of them says, I don't want to play. I just want the packs. The other one says, I've been looking forward to playing, or just I want to play. All of the things being equal. Or yeah, but they're not equal. The one guy got there first. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the thing, right? Like I totally understand. If all things are equal, I would I would side with the guy who wants to play Magic, of course. And I feel bad, very bad. I'm I'm a I'm a big casual guy. I'm a big uh, people show up to tournaments to play Magic, not get you know fabulous prizes and go on the pro tour. Like I don't care about that stuff really. I care about people having fun playing Magic. So, I, you know, I totally understand that, too. We do want people to play Magic, and it sucks when, you know, a corner case in a situation where, where you know, you can't. As a, as a TO, I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, uh, you know, somebody comes and they, comes into the store and they say, can I sign up for the tournament? I just want to pack, get the packs and leave. Right. I think it's perfectly acceptable to say to that person, I understand... However, I only have so much product, and I want as many people to actually play in the tournament today as possible. I'm going to have all those people sign up. If we have space, if we have product after that, I'll be happy to put in, put you in one of the slots. But I need to serve people who are here to play first. Sure. I think that's uh, a perfectly acceptable customer service and, and tournament organizing practice. All right. It sounds like we've reached a, an <laughs> impasse. <laughs> So my I'm, suggestion I'm, would be for the listeners to email us at judgecast at gmail.com and tell us what you think if you were the judge or TO in this situation. And and maybe people would like to share stories from their M12 pre-releases. Uh, were there any problems with distribution, with getting enough product in stores? Because this was the first pre-release without regional pre-releases. So in theory, the stores should have seen a little bump in attendance from people not being at regional pre-releases. That is that is true. That's a good point. Last word, I, I don't fault Sean for where he's coming from, and I want to come from there too. I just you know have a hard time justifying it. I think, like uh, so, you know, st- staring at the guy and telling him that you know uh, I'm not going to take your money because you opened your mouth at the wrong time. With that, <laughs> I'll let you have the last word for the moment, Jose. I'm just—I'm saying you're right. I, and I'm, and I'm, I'm saying, saying I don't blame can, anybody for doing what you want to do. Of course, I—I'm I, saying you can have the last word there. I'll—I won't edit your last word out. I, I, we've been going on for a bit here. I've got plenty of editing to do. Any closing Cut. remarks for us? Michael? Just um, do your best to help grow your community from whatever portion of it you're in. Players are just as responsible for it as the judges and the TOs are. And you certainly exemplified that um, in your responsibilities there in Northern California. 
We look forward to more of what you have to offer, especially as we go on to crush Canada. Mr. Jepson, sir, anything, any parting words for us? He's actually asleep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, sweet dreams, Danish prince. Mr. Ricky, any last words for us? See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We can only hope. Okay. Well, from all of us here at JudgeCast, we want to thank uh, Andreas Kvangjebsen for joining us, however briefly. We want to thank Michael for his inspiring stories from the great cold north of California. Ricky, thanks for being here. Um, You're one of our driving forces, as always. And Jose, someday this will all be yours. So from all of us here at JudgeCast, this is Sean Catanese. I keep it fair. Jose Bovada, I keep it fun. Michael Jimenez, I keep it local. And Ricky Hayashi, I keep it in a cage. Hi guys, I'm Ricky Hayashi. Do the shuffle.